be okay with all of who you are, not just like the shiny mask that you show the world, but like all of it, because all of it is what makes you extraordinary. And the more and more you claim the wholeness of your being, the higher you are absolutely going to soar in your life. Welcome to Your Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the game changers and experts to tackle the next chapter of your life. Whether you want to start a business, switch your career, or just get inspired, I provide you the guests to give you tactics, strategies, and mindsets to build the life you want and crush your next chapter. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If this is your first episode, well, welcome. Today, my guest is Kelsey Grant. She's a self-love expert. And I brought Kelsey onto the show to talk about, yes, self-love and relationships and being in relationship with other people. Because as Kelsey talks about, if we don't have a good relationship with ourselves, it really does impact our relationship with others. I wanted to dive into the masculine and feminine energy with her as well. We don't get into that because we had an amazing conversation about pain and healing the past, which really led and took our whole conversation into another direction, but I absolutely loved it and felt it was an incredible episode, one of my favorite ones that I've done in the last little bit. And so I'm going to leave it to Kelsey to take it from here. She, like I said, self-love expert, works with men and women. And so without further ado, here is Kelsey. With me on the line, I have Kelsey Grant. Kelsey, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and my audience today. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm very excited to be here with you today. Nice. Let's dive right into it. If you're, I like to ask my guests, um, typically to start off, if your life was a book title, what would be the title of your book? Mm. This is such a good question. And I really gave it some thought when you sent it to me the other day. And I think the title of my book would be Path of the Heart, A Journey of Love. It just kind of embodies my entire life so far. And uh, I think it would be a, a great book title for sure. Why Path of the Heart, Journey of Love? Um, because for me, everything has always centered around relationships and how I'm showing up in my life is a direct reflection of whether or not my heart is open or not. So the times where I've really accelerated my life, my heart has been wide open. And the times where I experience contrast or things just not moving at the pace that I would like, often my heart has shut down in some way. And so like the path of the heart is like really learning the ups and downs and ins and outs of that path. And the undercurrent of all of that is really starting to embrace and understand the essence of love, which to me is the unification of my shadow and my light. So those times where I'm closed or when I'm open or my masculine energy and my feminine energy, all of it coming together in this beautiful, balanced way where I can, you know, really ex like express myself in such a way where it's okay to have those darker times and it's okay to have those more expansive times and all of it is part of the journey and for me that's really been like the overarching lesson of my life is how can I embrace all of that how can I accept all of that how can I learn from all of that amazing I love it for people <laughs> that um for people that don't know you um as much how would you, like, if you're at a cocktail party and someone asks you, like, what do you do for a living? Who, how do you answer that question? Um, what I do for a living is I help people create better connection with themselves and other people. So that's really, like, the really simple answer to that. And, like, my process is all about the relationship we have to ourselves first and foremost and to really honor that connection and really learn who we are on an intimate level and you know what makes us really come alive and what shuts us down and everything in between and then taking that information and that wisdom and that acknowledgement of who we are and bringing it into relationship with other people and to me like the most fulfilling 
fulfilling experiences in life all boil down to relationships, whether that's a relationship with another human, relationship to money, relationship to your body, relationship, you know, to your career and your purpose and what you're up to. And so everything is like built on this foundation of relationship. And it boggles my brain that <laughs> there's so many people that will focus so much of their personal growth and development on everything but relationships. And that's the one area where we think that we should just automatically know what's up and know what to do. And that's often not the case. And there's so many things that get in the way of our capacity to connect with each other because our ability to connect to ourselves is fundamentally impaired. And so I support people in uncovering those blocks that they have to the connection with themselves and with other people. That's what I do. When you tell this to people at a party, do their eyes like light up or do they kind of like turn away? They're like, I do not want to talk to this person anymore. They're like, mm, this is too much for me. I feel it's going to be one or the other. I know. This is just my guess. I I feel like I've been really lucky in the sense that it's more the eyes widening up, up and like, ah, yes, that's, that totally makes sense to me. And that's kind of how I gauge whether or not I'm in the right community or not and whether I'm around, you know, people who are you know, vibing on the same level is their response. And, you know, sometimes they do shut down and, and that's okay. You know, if people aren't ready to go there, it's not my, my place to put them on a path that they're not ready to head on onto, or maybe they're not meant to, I don't know. Um, but luckily for me, this so far, it's been the other side of the coin, which is, Oh, that's really cool. Like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'd like to get to know myself better and be more effective in my relationships. Which is, yeah, a healthy way to go about it. We we should all, you know, I'd like to think that everyone has that mindset where, you know, we all want to improve ourselves in, in our relationships, but it's not always the case. Some people just feel they're good or they don't want to really address that part. But when mm -hmm. I meet people like that, same thing, right? It's just being around people that have a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. Totally. Absolutely. I want to start off by, you just wrote a post and it's on Facebook right now, it's pain is your messenger and your phone was blowing up before we got onto this call and I said to you, I, the way you can tell a post is good is like depending how many messages you get about it because I feel the same, that's what happens to me when I write stuff. And so let's talk, because this is really interesting and so I kind of want to use this as a starting point for sure. the conversation. In the post it says, heartbreak happens to soften you, not to close you up. Is this post entirely about, you know, if you have a heartbreak from a relationship or can pain be a messenger, whether you're just alone in your life and you're struggling with something and you can use that pain to grow and kind of guide you to where you need to go? I'm curious to know. I think it, it encompasses all forms of pain. Like it, and heartache is heartache, whether or not it's coming from a relationship and, you know, a break down in a relationship or a breakdown in any other area of life pain is pain and heartache is heartache and you know when things don't go according to the idea that we have about them you know manifesting or how they should come to fruition that does cause heartache you know and it does cause pain and all of it can be used you know to get yourself on track and to maneuver in such a way where you do get to know yourself more intimately because in those moments of pain, you get to see what's kind of lurking in the background of your mind. <laughs> you know, like you get really well acquainted with those stories of the mind that are really disempowering. You get to see firsthand what dialogues and narratives are actually keeping you bound to your smallness and to your limitations and to, for lack of a better term, your mediocrity, you know, and when we face pain and when we come face to face with any type of pain, those stories and those narratives are going to bubble to the surface and we can't outrun them unless we're numbing it out with, you know, drugs, sex, alcohol, um, booze, you know, all of those things are numbing so that we don't actually have to hear and feel into the pain and hear what it has to tell us. So I think it's applicable for any type of pain. Absolutely. Let's dive into that, the pain, feeling that pain. I'm doing research for a course and I've been talking to like 40, 50 friends kind of finding different aspects of their lives that, um, you know, they're kind of struggling with. 
And my one friend said, it'd be really interesting if you create like mental models or like emotional models. When you're talking to experts, it's like, you know, like try to like almost decrypt like what they do in certain situations. So that way people can take these mental or emotional models back into their own life. So I'm curious to know in your life, like when you face pain, right? Because I'm sure pain comes up for you. What is like the mental model or the emotional model like that you would have for that to really walk and navigate yourself through that? I mean, the first thing that I always have to do is make a declaration to myself that I'm willing to feel this pain and I'm willing to have it use me for something greater. And so that's the first declaration that gets made. And from there, like it's about creating the conditions in my, my body and in my life that allow that awareness to rise up. So like I said, if I'm numbing it out with distractions, with drugs, alcohol, sex, any of those things, I'm really not going to access what there is for me to learn. And so I've, I've learned <laughs> by doing those things that they're not effective. And instead, I put things into my body that are actually nourishing. So I'll prioritize like drinking lots of water, um, going and getting green juice or green smoothies and starting to move my body in like really intense ways, like going for runs or bike rides and burning through a lot of that energy that contributes to those negative mental stories. And if I keep that, it's almost like a mantra of like, I'm willing to see this differently and I'm willing to allow this pain to show me something that's been hidden from my point, like my consciousness, my point of view. And, and I'm also going to allow this pain to use me for something greater. Um, I was, listening to a program by Bob Proctor, like maybe five, six years ago. And it was about heartbreak and infidelity. And he sat down with this woman who was crushed because her husband had just left her for a younger woman. And she just was so racked with this pain that she couldn't really show up to her life. And he said to her, he's like, you need to find something that you care more about than the pain that you're feeling. What is something that could inspire you to get out of bed in the morning that's bigger than your pain? And when I heard that, like this huge light bulb went off. And so any time that that pain shows up in my life, I go right to that idea of, well, what is something that I could dedicate myself to that is bigger than the pain that I'm feeling. And that always has to do with service of being in service to others because we can get really wrapped up in our own stuff and we can become quite self-centered, you know, especially when things are challenging and we're like, Oh, I'm the only one feeling this pain. No one will ever understand, but people do because it's a universal language. <laughs> you know, Like everyone feels pain. And if we, can find within ourselves that thing that we care more about than the pain that we're feeling, it will help us move through those stages of grief or those stages of pain from a more empowered context. So that thing for me that I made the the declaration of, like when I was feeling, you know, some of the deepest pain and despair I've ever felt was to teach 500,000 people how to learn to love themselves better. That was the thing that was bigger than the pain that I was feeling. And that's a pretty big thing. Mm -hmm. And I had to keep, you know, looking at this, you know, almost purpose statement that would compel me to look at my pain differently because that intention is so monumental and it's going to take something for me to achieve that. And, you know, every day I just woke up and dedicated myself to that ideal. If I was that person who was going to lead 500,000 people to learn how to love themselves better. Who do I need to be today? What do I need to become today? What do I need to face within myself today? Because I cannot lead on that level if I am not willing to face myself and if I'm not willing to face my own limitations and my own darkness and those pieces of myself that I would just like to disown and pretend that they don't exist. You know, the degree to which I can support people is the degree to which I'm intimate with my own shit to be perfectly frank. 
And that's super powerful, right? The way you're looking at and approaching it is, you know, Jim Rome always said, become a millionaire, not for the money, but for the person I'll make you. And I think the same way that you set that intention for yourself of helping 500,000 people, you knew that you'd have to overcome your pain and understand your pain in yourself in a higher magnitude to really be able to serve that many people because you wouldn't be able to really make an impact on that many people unless you had a lot to offer, like you said, really be of service to them because it's one thing to say, you know, I'm going to help 500,000 people. But if you don't actually have something of value to give them, then it's going to be really hard to follow through on that intention. Absolutely. And people will pick up if you're a fraud. <laughs> like They really will. If you haven't done your own work on the back end of your life, people will sense it. They'll be like, something is off there. And so that was like a really big thing for me. I'm like, if I'm going to lead in this way, like it has to come from a place of genuine truth. And if I'm not willing to meet myself in those, you know, darker places, how can I possibly meet someone else in theirs? Like if I have not worked myself through those kind of dark nights of the soul, I, I can't actually hold space in a way that is effective when people are hitting like these really low lows and these really dark times in their life. If I haven't been willing to go there myself. And I totally agree with that. Like, even for me, I've been on this journey where I think I told you uh, in our conversation, prize, in a podcast, I came forward about being bisexual like two months ago. And so for me, it was, you know, it's not that I have the answers for you, but I'm on this journey, right? And I feel like I'm hoping to communicate to my audience that I don't necessarily have all the answers for people, but I'm seeking out people like yourself who can kind of shine light on different aspects of my life and their life where we can kind of find a way to navigate through that darkness because there is no shame in admitting, and this is kind of where I'm at, and acknowledge like to be in a dark place and knowing that you have to work through that darkness to get mm-hmm. to light because I feel at the end of this journey for me, I'll be able to hold more space pe- for people. And as I walk through it, the intention is to be helping as many people as possible, right? And I know when I grow through it more and more that at the end of it, I'll be like, you know what, this is really where I can provide space for people. And so there's no shame of just acknowledging you're on that journey as well, because that's where I'm at. And so it's really great that you've really set this intention for yourself to really be able to hold space for people and like, and identify where you can be of service to the world. Thank you. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> It is really not easy some days, you know, because I have to, I have to embrace my own darkness. And, you know, I I feel that that's where our power comes from is when we actually can unite our darkness and our light, not just, you know, kind of push our darkness aside and prioritize only the positive or good things about who we are. Like we've got to embrace all of it. And as we embrace all of it, that's where we get our power from. That's where we experience things like flow or like like instant manifestation, if we want to use terms like that. Like that's where success and momentum really kick into high gear when we've come into this place where we can really accept the totality of who we are. And if we're still denying on the back end that, you know, we have these negative thoughts or we're really critical or judgmental towards ourselves or other people, um, that is what's going to prevent us from really accelerating and moving forward. For people who are going to sit in pain, like, you know, going back to what we were talking about, you know, really like being in the pain as opposed to escaping it through sex, drugs, Netflix, whatever it's going to be for you. What can they expect? Because, you know, for some people, this might be not the most conventional of wisdom where they're so used to anytime they feel pain, they just call up their friend and just find a way to, you know, escape it or forget about it. So if somebody's really going to sit in that pain, what can they anticipate from that experience? Because it might be very different from how they've coped with their emotions their entire life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only speak from my experience and I don't want to assume that my experience is a universal experience, but my experience of sitting with it is that there's actually a change in my body. Like it kind of feels like my skin is crawling a little bit and I want to escape it. Like I want to 
take it off. And like, I, it's almost really hard to be with that sensation in the body. And that's usually my cue that something is about to arise that I really need to see. And sometimes that will arise in the form of grief. So like a wave of grief will come up and out. And for me, like I, I'm a big crier. So <laughs> for me, like my, my pain is released through like crying. I, and I know other people it's released through things like anger and it comes out, you know, in bursts of anger. And that's where we need to be responsible for, you know, how it comes up for us. Like I would never go into like a public setting and do this type of work. I, I set the stage and make sure that if there are people around that I'm not going to be like spewing my toxic energy on them, um, but allow them to just hold a more loving space for me. Most of the time though, this um, transition, this healing, this like exploration of my pain happens by myself. And so it'll be when I've got space and time to just sit and really contemplate what's there and feel it. And for me, there is a tightness in my chest and sometimes in my belly and it feels like really restrictive. And then once it starts moving like up, like close to my eyeballs, cause I'm a crier. So it's going to come out my eyes. Um, and then it just releases. And for me, it looks like ugly crying, like really ugly crying. And at the same token of that, like that can't last forever. Like even if like it is a really intense experience, like we only have, you know, so much energy that we can put towards that. Like we are going to exhaust ourselves at some point. Like if you're really giving it your all, <laughs> letting that ugly cry happen, um, it, it's going to get tiring at some point. And when your body kind of gets tired and you're like, oh, I just, okay, there's, there's nothing more right now. And then all of a sudden, once that happens, there, there's this soft calmness and this serenity that follows. So it, it's, it's a very interesting process of like, it builds up, it builds up, it builds up, then it comes out. And it, that's intense. It's, you know, very, very, very emotional for most of us. And then there's this calmness. And it's in that state of calmness and serenity where you actually access the answer, the next step forward for you. And so that's really been how it has shown up for me. And, you know, like I said, that's not a universal experience. That's just mine. And, you know, for many other people, their experience of pain might be different. Um, but having worked with a lot of people in the last seven years, like it, it seems to be pretty standard and par for the course that if people just sit with it and allow it to come up and out in a, you know, responsible setting. So, you know, you're at home, you're in a safe place. Like it's not going to destroy you. It's not going to take you under. And I think that's what people are most afraid of if they actually let that experience happen, that it's going to take them out and they're not going to be able to recover from it. And, you know, like I said, like there's, there's only so much energy that you can put towards that until your body is like, okay, that's enough for now. And there's a state of calm. And then you go back on the upswing and then it may show up again, depending what you have to process. Like, especially with heartache or loss of some kind, like there will be multiple waves of that happening and to just embrace it. Like, okay, the wave's coming. I know it's coming <laughs> and I can always feel it. Cause I kind of feel funky throughout, like throughout my day when I'm about to have like a release like that. And so I just allow myself to go there and you know, that cycle, you know, happens maybe at it's an hour max of time that, you know, for that processing and then it passes. And, you know, when I need to release that again, my, my body will tell me and my heart will tell me. And there's always like some pure golden nugget that comes out of it. And even if that golden nugget is just a sense of 
serenity and calmness and stillness that is incredibly sweet after we've gone through like a lot of tension and restriction and really shutting ourselves down. This buildup, does it happen over, you know, like a day, a week, a month? Like, you know, it seems like when it comes, you said it's kind of like about an hour where it kind of wash over, but like how long is the buildup or does it vary depending on what you're working through? For me, it's always varied on the context and the situation. So, like here's a something that is quite common um where we'll deny what we fundamentally need in a relationship and we'll expect our partner to fulfill on a, something that we're not really giving to ourselves like nurturing or self-care and so we'll hit a point where we're depleting ourselves because we aren't actually giving ourselves what we need. And so in a situation like that, it kind of builds up over time. And for me, it's about like a month where that will like build up, build up, build up, build up to the point of like, oh, no, I just need to like break down and have that release. And then other times when we're actually faced with a really challenging circumstance, like a loss of a job or a family member, or a friend or a relationship, like it can come up so quickly like anyone who's ever gone through a breakup or heartache knows that that it comes up fast and furious and it really doesn't take long for that you know tank to get full where you're like okay now the release is coming the processing of the pain is coming so I think it really depends on the circumstance and whether or not you've allowed yourself to process pain in the past because if you haven't it just gets stuffed inside of you. And the next time something painful happens in your life, you're now activating every bit of unresolved stuff within your psyche. And that's why it can, it can be so daunting and scary because we're like, ah, I have like 20 years worth of pain that I haven't dealt with. And I know it's coming up and I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. But the more that we embrace that experience, it's like, yeah, there are going to be some ugly cry days and that is so okay. And then it will pass. And then you're going to feel like the warmth of the sun on your skin again and everything comes back to life. And so if we've been in that habit of suppressing or repressing our pain, you know, when we do face these circumstances, it will come back up again. And if we know that going in, we don't have to almost take it so personally when it happens. We're like, oh, this is just, you know, something that I stored away a long time ago because I, you know, didn't have the tools or I didn't have the awareness or the capacity to deal with it then. But I clearly do now. And so I'm going to give myself permission to release it so that I don't have to carry this anymore. And it can be a very liberating experience if we embrace it. This reminds me a bit of my conversation with our mutual friend, Michael Muscari. I did a podcast with him down in Venice Beach. We actually did like an episode in his van and he was down on the West Coast for five to six months and he really sat with his emotions. And one thing that came out of that conversation was the amount of time he just really let himself be with the pain that, you know, he had kind of suppressed as a child and through different relationships. And he said he felt so much lighter by that because I caught him at the end of the trip when he met up with Connor there. And so he was just like, I feel so much lighter, I feel so much more liberated. And the way he spoke about it just sounded like, I was like, wow, I should go on a six-month band journey because it's just <laughs> like, this is what I need. It just sounds like, yeah. And so, but it, it, and I don't think, you know, for a lot of us, we feel so busy in our lives that we might not always make the time to sit with that pain. But it does sound, you know, something that I've definitely been trying to do more of, but something I can definitely incorporate more of because there's definitely parts of my life where there's still pain and I feel there's lessons to be learned from that. Uh, my emotional barometer, what it's telling me. Mm -hmm. You know, and if we just carve out a little bit of time, even on a weekly basis to just check in with ourselves, you know, we'll, it'll be much easier to give ourselves that space and time when those moments of pain arise. So if we've already, you know, started to establish the habit of self-care and self-reflection in either a daily practice or a weekly practice, 
um, when we hit those inevitable points of our lives where we're faced with challenge, um, it will be much easier to incorporate, you know, some space and time to really feel our way through that and experience our way through that. Otherwise, like you said, like, the schedule gets jam packed and there's just no space. And so the lack of space is to me like a pretty big problem as to why like so many people are repressing and suppressing what's really there for them because they, they literally create their lives in such a way where there is no space, you know, and I love what Mike did, you know, going away for a couple months and like, he was, it, it was just him, <laughs> him and his dog and his band. You know, there's not a lot that you can use to then distract yourself from what is there to be faced. And if we keep, you know, busying ourselves and speeding up the pace of our lives, it becomes increasingly more difficult to really tap into what's authentically there and what's authentically being called to be felt. And so if we can prioritize that in our day to day lives, even taking like 15 minutes every day for, you know, either a meditation practice or journaling or yoga or anything that has you connect with you and that becomes a habit within your daily life, it's much easier to create the space and time when you will need to process anything substantial in, in your future. When you feel those emotions creeping up for you, is there like a set process for yourself? Like, do you meditate? Do you do like a bubble bath? Like when you know it's coming, like, are you so proactive that you like, I'm going to go home, pine block an hour, and then this is what I'm doing? Or is it fluctuate depending on what you feel you need and what your body's telling you? Um, For the most part, I will do my best to kind of pull it out of myself. So if I feel like I'm on the verge of doing a release like that, and let's say I feel like an intensity of sadness and it's like welling up in my heart and I can feel it coming up into my throat and I know <laughs> that it's about to happen, I'll trigger myself by putting on a piece of music that inevitably is going to stir up some emotion so that it gets that movement happening. Um, and other times it's just really organic and it'll just happen. And, you know, I'll, I'll be in meditation and all of a sudden be overcome with emotion or like realize like, okay, there's something for me to, to look at here and process here. And then I might pull out my journal and journal it out. Or I might literally just cry in my meditation. And after my meditation is complete. Like sometimes that's all it takes to process that pain. And other times I'll trigger it with, you know, a sad movie or, you know, a sad song so that I can get that moving. Cause like for me, like, because I know the sweet relief that's on the other side, I'm like, yeah, I want to, want to get into this. Like, I don't want to hold like this weird restrictive space around my heart and like kind of cage my emotions anymore. Like I want them to come up and out so that I'm really available to my life and really available to the sweetness of life. And the more I kind of shut down my emotions, the duller my experience of life becomes. So if I open up to the totality of my emotional experience, I really then can tap into the sweetness that is available in life. And that's a really, wonderful thing it's the yin and yang the you know if we let our darkness in then we let more light flourish and so that makes 100 percent sense mm -hmm. yeah. i want to shift gears a little bit here when we chatted part as podcast you talked about discipline and commitment mm -hmm. these are two words that you know discipline and commitment are in our society you know not lovely words like you know people hear that it's like oh those aren't <laughs> okay. very sexy words it's like <laughs> discipline commitment uh but you say these are really important aspects of our life that kind of don't get talked enough about because for that reason, there's almost a stigma around them. Mm -hmm. Let's start off with discipline. Where, why is discipline important to you? And then maybe talk about an example in your life where you've needed to use discipline to succeed in what you're doing. Sure. So discipline, 
discipline to me is more about the process of cultivating the muscle of endurance. Can we endure what life is bringing our way? And can we endure what we're committed to, um, even in the face of life kind of spinning in all these various directions? And discipline for me becomes that tool, that vehicle to get me from the place where I am now to where I want to be. And there are so many amazing lessons and realizations that come from honoring our word and being disciplined with our word. And for me, like, I think why I had such a negative context for discipline is because automatically the assumption is discipline restricts freedom. And anything that restricts our freedom, we are going to rebel against, whether consciously or subconsciously. And so I think that's where the, the battle comes from for a lot of people, including myself. I'm like, ugh. The, the context in which we understand discipline really doesn't honor this essence of free will that we all have. And for me, I had to learn how to really redefine um, my relationship to discipline. And, you know, when I set that goal of, you know, wanting to support, you know, 500,000 people, teach them how to love themselves better. Like that is a goal that requires incredible amounts of discipline. I have to show up for my life when I don't want to, when my ego is like, no, you should probably check out today. And I still have to show up. I have to show up for myself and I have to show up for my community because there are people that depend on me. And without that baseline of discipline of being able to give my word and follow through, I begin to relate to myself as someone who shouldn't be trusted. And if I don't trust myself, why would anyone else trust me? And so discipline becomes that vehicle for me to really learn that I am a reliable human being. I am trustworthy and my word counts for something. And so when I set that goal, like I really looked at how could I build that muscle of discipline and consistency in a way that's fun. You know, it doesn't have to be like this boring, you know, restriction of freedom. I could really play with it in a way that enabled me to still develop that muscle of consistency and really honor my my self-expression and my freedom. So I decided to learn a new chord on my guitar every month and write a song with that new chord and put it on YouTube. So that became my discipline every single month. I would have to, you know, invest the time and energy to learn a new chord and then sit down at the creative process and write a song and then be disciplined enough to get behind the camera, film the song and put it on the internet. And so I did that every month for an entire year. Year. And you know, that helped, you know, build the very basic level of discipline for myself. And then I did it for another year, but I, I took on a new discipline of every week. So every week I filmed a YouTube video with my roommate at the time and we had a YouTube series. And so we did that every week. And then the year after that, I was now at a place where I had built my tolerance for discipline up to the point where I could show up consistently every single day and I could write a blog post about self-love every day for 365 days. Now the key there was to really bring in a little bit of flexibility because if I had really restricted myself and said, Kelsey, you have to write a blog post by 9 a.m. every day for 365 days, I don't, I don't think I could have fulfilled on that because life happens. And, you know, and so much will get in the way. And, but I gave myself the full 24 hours. I said, somewhere in those 24 hours, I will have the space and time and the discipline to sit down at my computer and write a blog post. And some nights it was like 10 minutes to 12 at, you know, in the middle of the night where I was on my computer writing this post. And, and you just like, I, love yourself, three words. And then, <laughs> post. and then post. I did it. You know, and that was that was my journey of building up that muscle of discipline 
content in a way that really honored my creativity and my spirit and that essence of free will. And I think that if everyone kind of took that on in their own unique way of like, well, how could I build my muscle of discipline in a way that actually feels liberating, that inspires me to show up instead of I'm being restricted and then you automatically contract when you feel restricted. And I think that's the key there of like really learning how to show up in a way that inspires you to expand. And creativity is a wonderful vehicle for that because often many of us are inspired to show up in a creative way, in a way that really feeds our, our soul and feeds who we are. And art, music, cooking, whatever it is for you that is your creative expression is likely, you know, the piece that you can use to build that discipline. When you started doing this, when the first year when you learned a new note and recorded a new song every month on YouTube, did you know the following year that you were going to up it to a one-month video thing or a weekly thing with your roommate to a daily post? Like, Did you have that intention in mind when you first started or was it just a natural evolution of how it progressed? It was a natural evolution. I had no intention of doing that. I was like, yeah, one year, I'll be fine. I'll be great. I'll know everything there is to know about discipline and commitment after one year. <laughs> and, um, and then after that year completed, it was, I was like, okay, like I really did learn a lot about that experience. And now there's a new level that I can go to. And I feel like I have the endurance. I have the tolerance to go to the next level. Instead of, and this is where I think where people get tripped up, they realize that they have, you know, some work to do around discipline or commitment, and then they try and quantum leap themselves to the point of, I have no discipline to, I'm going to do like this same thing every single day for 365 days. And they don't have the actual muscles to endure that process um, because they're trying to quantum leap it. They're trying to fast track their development. And by taking like those smaller integrated steps along the way, we naturally expand in a way that's sustainable. Like for me, this is now a very sustainable muscle in my life. It's not something that, you know, I set this massive, massive goal that I just hadn't been able to grow into yet. And then, you know, I got you know 20 days in and totally crashed and burned. You know, I, I'm all about creating the conditions to actually succeed. And for me, I knew that that meant taking smaller steps. And I honestly thought, you know, it would just take a year. And then when I got there, I'm like, okay, I want to go to the next level. I want to challenge myself. And I now know that I'm capable of showing up every month. So the next natural step that is still a stretch, like it's still a stretch to show up every single week and publish a video on the same day every single week for a year that'll take something and then after that completed I'm like oh okay like the next natural step is you know 365 days and even that I had a ton of resistance with like it was actually Connor's idea he was like Kelsey maybe you should do this and I was like ah, good it's a crazy idea Connor that. I'm not doing that <laughs> And I'm so glad I did because like I really got to see um you know what kind of gets in my way of my potential because when I'm you know I make a commitment like that, I make a goal like that, an intention like that, everything that is unlike the nature of that intention came to the surface. So I had to meet all of my resistance. I had to meet all of the stories that I could see in my past had kept me stuck or kept me from achieving greatness. All of it came up in that context of the last year that I did that, you know, writing project and like all the excuses or justifications of the ego of like, I, you know, you don't really need to do it today. No one will know like all that kind of crap that just sneaks in, you know, with everyone, whenever we set a goal, you know, they're like, Oh, no one will know if I, you know, eat this, you know, massive chocolate bar when I said I was going to eat clean or no one will know if I, you know, don't go to the gym today. But the thing is that, you know, 
And once you've broken that word with yourself and that commitment with yourself, that becomes the opening for your inner critic to take over and take you down. And so I, I really got well acquainted with all those parts of myself so that I could be more aware of them when they showed up in the future in an attempt to sabotage whatever I was up to. Because those elements of self-sabotage don't go away <laughs> no matter how evolved or how much growth we do like we're still going to meet our inner saboteur no matter how much we grow how much we know ourselves and our patterns like it's still going to arise but what we do with it becomes different so whereas in the past we may have actually let it take us out and in the future when we're aware of the mechanics of our saboteur we can catch it faster and make a conscious choice to return to our commitment and our intentions and, you know, those, those goals that are bigger than the pain that we feel. Going back to discipline and commitment a little bit here, why those two, like, you know, three years is a really long time. Like we live in a day and age where it's like, we're bombarded by information. You can read a blog post on self-love, then relationships, then whatever the next one's going to be. And so we're overwhelmed with information. And so Hey, I give you a lot of credit for sticking with something for three years. I feel like that's like an immense commitment. Like, you know, that's one of the words. And so it's interesting that you did that. But why was it those two things that you really chose to do? Because we, we jump around so much in today's day and age. I'm curious to know why you felt those are so integral to your success. Mm. Um, well, first, because that, those were the two areas that I struggled with the most. So I struggled with discipline and I struggled with commitment. And so that's where I, I really wanted to grow. And, you know, I'd had a realization that in my past relationships that I was attracting, you know, men who had a pattern of either being non-committal or emotionally unavailable. And I knew that that was a reflection of my own emotional unavailability and my own inability to actually stay committed. And, and if I wanted the type of relationship that I had always dreamt of, if I wanted the freedom and success that I knew was possible within the work that I do, that those two things of discipline and commitment were necessary foundations that I would not be able to get there without them. You know, I, it's so easy to cut and run when things get challenging, you know, and that's what a lot of us have been primed to do. You know, there's always, you know, someone new, there's always something new and you can just, you know, change and go in a different direction and that's fine. Um, but when we're doing that as a way to escape ourselves and we're, we're never actually going to get to that point of fulfilling our heart's truest desires. And I really wanted to be an example of someone who could live a life that was an example of her heart's truest desires. And I knew that I needed to learn those lessons and explore the nature of commitment and explore the nature of discipline in order to really call in the type of relationships that I wanted and the success in my career that I wanted and the success in my health and wellness that I wanted, like all of it centered around my capacity to remain committed to myself and what is truly important to me as a human being. And that'll be different for everyone. Like everyone has a different driving force, a different driving purpose, a different reason why they're here on this planet and to remain committed to the practices that enable that purpose to shine through is so key. So key. A little earlier, you used the word saboteur, which I absolutely love. I've never heard somebody uh, use the word saboteur before. But when this shows up in your life, you know, that self-sabotage, that ego saying, hey, let's take a day off. And especially when you're doing the discipline of, you know, writing a post about self-love every single day for 365 days, what do you do in that situation to, you know, deflect it or, you know, like move away from that sabotage where mm -hmm. for some people might kind of like get overpowered, like, yeah, I deserve a day off today. But in your situations, like you were so committed, it's like, how do you respond back to your ego, 
in that situation? The first thing I do, and this was something a coach from a long time ago, like one of my first coaches said, he was like, Kelsey, you need to thank your ego for sharing. You need to just thank it for, you know, its opinion. <laughs> and For showing up. Yeah. yeah, for showing up and for giving you its two cents. And like once you acknowledge that that's going on, like, oh, hey, ego. Oh, hey, inner saboteur. Like you're here. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing that insight with me that that's your opinion on what I should be doing. And I'm the one at the wheel of my life. I'm the one driving this vehicle. And while I appreciate your insight, I'm choosing not to take that advice. And I'm going to honor what I said that I was going to do. But thank you for sharing. And it's in that acceptance that that is there, that the ego backs down. It's this really cool sensation, at least for me, when I acknowledge that inner saboteur, like, oh, okay, that's trying to steer me off course. Or maybe at certain times my ego has taken the wheel of my life and it's steering and it's trying to drive me off a cliff. And I'm like, oh, that is happening. Like the acceptance of reality as it is, is our key to actually creating conditions to transform it and go in a different direction. But if we're resisting admitting reality, we're going to keep spinning our wheels because the, the ego is going to be, you know, foot on the, on the gas. And then your spirit is like pumping the brakes and you're just not going anywhere. And if we can come into a place of acceptance of like, Oh, well, thank you for sharing that insight. <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a conscious choice to do something different and, you know, allowing, you know, your goals and your intentions to have a little bit of space around them. So, Given myself those 24 hours to write that blog post was enough space that, you know, there was at least 20 minutes in that day where I would feel aligned to get on the computer and write my blog post. Like there's always 20 minutes and those goals were small enough in the sense that they didn't take a large amount of time to complete, you know, and if I gave myself the flexibility of some time from the moment I wake up to the morning or the time I go to bed, I will be able to, you know, write, sit down and write this no matter how crazy busy my day is, no matter where I'm traveling. And that was a year where I, I did have to travel a few times and I was in the Dominican and the internet craps out and (laughs) shit, (laughs) I'm like so committed and now I can't even post this on the internet because, you know, our internet's down. And so I got on my phone and I did it on my phone and I, I just used my data and I did whatever it took. And, you know, that was a really good opportunity for my ego to be like, oh, you don't have to do that. You know, no one will know. And that was the moment where I was like, thanks for sharing. And I am choosing to honor my greatness and I'm choosing to honor what's most important to me. And what's most important to me is fulfilling on my promise of what I said I would do and who I said I would be. That's so powerful. I've been sitting here and just even thinking about how I kind of internalize things. And when my ego shows up, I always resort back to the masculine and I just kind of override it. Right. And I'm like, kind of just Mm -hmm. like stomp it. And I'm like, and it works Mm -hmm. some days, right. Where I have like really good willpower, I feel. And so I can kind of do that, but you burn out going that way. And just even thinking about like, you know, saying, okay, it's like, thank you, ego, for showing up. And it just, it, it softened inside of me, just like, you know, surrendering mm-hmm. to that as opposed to just like, you know, fighting back with it. And it feels like I'm in boxing gloves and I'm trying to like box my ego out of it. It's just a very different approach. And I can see, like, I can feel it already how like it would be just more like acknowledging it, being okay with it. And then really connecting back with your higher purpose of what you want to do to fulfill the commitment they have with yourself. Absolutely. And it just creates a sense of ease within you. Like, and there will be times where the masculine approach of like, not today, ego, you know, is totally legitimate. And for men, I really feel like, you know, that is going to be the default for them more times than like acknowledging and surrendering and softening to it. 
Um, and both are important for both men and women. Like there will be times where women have to really step up and be like, not today and keep trucking. And then there's other times where it's like, okay, yeah, thank you for sharing. And I'm still choosing to honor my word. And like, there's, there's not a wrong way of doing it. It's just the way that feels most aligned to you in that moment. This would be the perfect perfect segue for the conversation on masculine and feminine energy, which I really wanted to dive into with, but we're running out of time and I do want to be respectful. We didn't even get into acknowledging and appreciating yourself. So there has to be a two point at some point. I don't know when it's going to yes. be. It's going to be down the road because <laughs> I feel like we only covered 50% of what I want to talk about today. And so, but before we wrap up, uh, talk a bit about your coaching. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the work that you're doing in the world and the coaching that you're doing and how people can find you. Awesome. So I run a program for women. It's called a year of love and it essentially is a curriculum for creating incredible relationships and the love that you've always wanted. And so we start with self love. We do mindset. We do understanding men. We do embracing your feminine and then we end the year on partnership tools and essentials. And so that, that's really my main focus. I also do work with couples and supporting men in understanding you know what the feminine is actually saying and supporting women and understanding what the masculine is actually saying and really getting into the two different um, operating systems that the masculine and feminine have and decoding what's going on there and uh, so that's really the kind of the crux of what I do and if you're interested if it feels good to you to reach out I would love to connect with you and you can do that on my website which is www.kelseygrant.com. And the first program you mentioned, that's an online program, right? And the second one is more live and in person or through Skype. Is that kind of the uh, breakdown of them? Yeah, they're, they're both online programs. So I do, it's it, the first one, the group program is a conference call style. So everyone calls into the conference call. And with the couples work, it is also done on a conference call. And we do you know, individual coaching with both partners and then couples work together. And uh, all of that's done on the phone. Amazing. Thank you for much, so much for your time. I'm going to um, put all those links and uh, your social media and the show notes for people to reach out to you. Any last words you want to wrap up with here? Oh, any last words? That's so, so big. So I, big I and broad, th- I know. So I'm going to get really stumped by it. They're like, uh, no, no last words. I'm like, okay, you can take that way out. Yeah, I feel like the thing that, you know, really honors our conversation today is be okay embracing it all. And be okay with, you know, all of who you are. Not just like the shiny mask that you show the world, but like all of it. Because all of it is what makes you extraordinary. And the more and more you claim the wholeness of your being, the higher you are absolutely going to soar in your life. Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Kelsey. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, sit down and chat with me and my audience. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Kelsey Grant. I absolutely love that. To wrap up, I want to conclude with one of the biggest ideas and the biggest takeaways I had from that podcast, which actually made up of five smaller ideas, as when Kelsey talked about how to deal with pain and how to allow that to come through us, to me, it was one of the most valuable parts in the podcast that we spoke about earlier on. And the five steps that she outlined was the first was to declare that you allow yourself to feel that pain that there is no shame there, that there's no guilt, and you allow that pain to serve something bigger than yourself to learn from it. But we need to give ourselves permission to feel that pain to start off as a declaration, as she said. Secondly, she nourishes the body. And so this might mean putting in a healthy food, a smoothie, juice, whatever it is, to really allow yourself to have the energy to let that pain flow through you. Third, she engages the pain. And what she means by this is moving the body in some intense fashion or manner, whether that's going biking, going to yoga, doing a workout, as opposed to letting that pain bottle up inside of us. It's about 
activating it and moving the body so we actually get that energy flowing through us. And when we, going back to the first step, we give ourselves permission to do this, we feel more comfortable with it. We acknowledge that there's going to be things coming out that might be from our past and a decade ago or wherever or recently, but we are creating a space to cultivate this and feel this energy as opposed to toning it out and numbing it and suppressing it. The fourth thing she says is to a willingness to see it differently. So this is pain we might have felt before, but having the lens of how can I see this differently? How can this serve me in some way, shape, or form? And fifth is what is something I care about more than feeling this pain? And this is where Kelsey talked about serving 500,000 people and finding something bigger than yourself or more important than the pain to really allow yourself to move through it because we can think about the pain for so long and allow it to hold us down, but it's really finding something that can move us through it and past it. And so that was the five-step process she outlined for dealing with pain, which I found super valuable in the podcast, and I really wanted to highlight that for you guys. Lastly, I'm going to be launching my course, Align and Accelerate, for the second time starting January 29th. This course is all about crushing your goals in your personal life. If you're launching a business, it's about helping you with that launch. If you're in a small business and want to accelerate, it works in that capacity. There will be a link in the show notes about it, so feel free to check that out. It's starting January 29th. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast, and I look forward to having you on the show next time.